0: Disenfranchised by the modern comics industry, Scott Gardner and Michael Bailey now ply the time stream in a never-ending quest to rediscover and reconnect with that unique brand of fun and excitement that can only truly be found in good old-fashioned randomly selected comic book back issues. Journey with them now, back, back to the bins...
1: Scott Gardner here I want to bring you uh, something a little bit different today a very rare short episode um what's going on right now is Michael is still working on editing the audio from when we went to a a recent Atlanta comic book convention together so that should be up uh, hopefully next week um In the meantime, we have recorded a new episode, I haven't had a chance to edit it yet, so what I've decided to do, I just read an excellent comic book as I was uh, laying in bed trying to fall asleep last night, and I thought I would bring that to the table today, and like I say, give you uh, kind of a break. We've had a a string of kind of long episodes recently, so I thought you might enjoy uh, just a short, sweet episode of me talking about a book that uh, I really just dug the hell out of reading last night, so... Anyway, this is going back to June 1981. This is The Brave and the Bold, which I think at this point makes Brave and the Bold possibly the most talked about series we've had on Back to the Bin so far. I'm not sure of the exact count on that. I could be wrong, but it seems like we've reviewed a good number of, uh, of issues of this series, but... Uh... Hey, what can I say? It's a great series with fantastic art, and it's just a heck of a lot of fun. And this issue was really, really cool. I can't remember where I got this. I don't remember if I got this at the con or if I got this somewhere else recently. But it was a very recent purchase. Um, Original cover price on this was $0.50, and I think I paid about $0.50 for it. So uh, that was a good deal. Um, Written by Paul Kupperberg, with art. Fantastic art, by the way, by uh, Jim Aparo and this is a story called The Heart of the Monster and the reason I got this besides the fact that I'm you know I'm a fan of Batman from this era I love Jim Aparo's art he is my Batman artist but one of the biggest things was I loved the cover on this it's fantastic this is Batman and the guest star Lois Lane! I got a kick out of that. I thought that was cool. And you know what's really neat is she's billed as Lois Lane. It's not Superman's girlfriend, Lois Lane. It's simply Lois Lane. And uh, the cover shows Lois Lane swinging in to save Batman because he is being um, attacked, basically. He's having a beam of kryptonite projected at him by Metallo. And he's on the ground and clutching his chest and going, "arg." And I'm like, wait a minute. This is Batman, not Superman. So why is he on the ground, you know, dying from kryptonite radiation? Well, stick with me, and you're gonna find out why. So the starts off with a beautiful splash page of Batman swinging into the panel, and Metallo's basically saying, ah, I, I wondered if you might show up. Well, you know, I know this is your city, but I'm Metallo, and I'm taking over." And Batman's trying to break it. He's basically uh, Metallo is at Star Labs in Gotham, and he's stealing something and Batman comes in trying to break up, uh, or, you know, stop his theft of uh, whatever it is he's taking, and they get into a fight. And this was at a time when, basically, Metallo had a robotic body powered by, usually, kryptonite, and his head was the only thing that was actually vulnerable, because he he basically was a human head on a robot body, which is kind of weird. And he and Batman get into a tussle, and granted metallo is a heck of a lot stronger than batman but batman during this time you know he's really got a lot of cool you know kung fu type moves and stuff so he's able to more or less hold his own until metallo basically says all right well now i'm gonna unleash my green kryptonite beam on you and batman's kind of like ha you dumbass you know green kryptonite only works on kryptonians it's harmless to non-kryptonians and metallo's all like oh yeah and he zaps him with it and it's a great panel of batman doing basically what superman always does when he gets zapped by green kryptonite he's holding his gut and going "Ugh!" and he's mystified by this he said, why, why the hell is kryptonite working on me and we'll find out more about this later so while he's incapacitated metallo gets away and batman's all really pissed off about it you know and and mystified that the kryptonite actually worked on him so later the next day he's at the uh the wayne penthouse now this was during a time when when batman and bruce wayne had relocated into gotham city and was living in that swanky penthouse digs i really liked this time as a batman fan this was really my time coming up as a kid you know this is what he had this this was basically his way, his version of wayne manor and the Batcave during this time and i got a real kick out of that so anyway he uh he's in a meeting and he comes out of the meeting and as he's walking out talking to whoever it is that he was having the meeting with he sees lois lane ace reporter from the daily planet and she has come to gotham city on the trail of a story basically and she has come seeking bruce wayne's help to get in touch with batman she has, it's a, long, it's a lot of exposition in this story, but basically she's on the, the the trail of a story, and, you know, she never comes right out and says that, well, you know, it's dangerous, but I don't really want Superman to, you know, to save my bacon like he usually does, but I wouldn't mind Batman's backup, you know, it's it's basically what she's getting at, and so Bruce is like, well, you know, I'll do my best to see if I can get in touch with Batman, That night, while she's at her, I guess this must be the hotel she's staying at or whatever, she's on the phone with Perry White going over her plan and everything, and and Perry's like, you know, gee, I really wish that you'd just go to the Gotham police with all this, and she's like, no way, you know, it's my story, you know, I'm going to handle it my way. And about that time, she has the daylight scared out of her by the Batman, who just kind of, you know, pulls his ninja thing and materializes out of nowhere, and they compare notes and everything, and he agrees that, you know, he'll help her. So at midnight, she's on the docks awaiting her contact, and the guy shows up. And this is Dr. Cranshaw, who had something to do with a group called the Skull. And the Skull was the ones, they were the guys responsible for basically putting... For, for basically making Metallo Metallo. They're the guys that built the robot body for him and turned him into who he is now. And Metallo has been hunting these guys down and wanting to kill them off, basically, because he's not too happy about being a cyborg. And this uh, Cranshaw guy was basically going to turn himself in and give the feds or whoever, you know, whoever he's turning himself into, he was going to give them information in exchange for protection from Metallo. So that's what this is all about. And no sooner have they made contact and start to talk to each other than Metallo shows up, and he had basically been using Lois Lane. He's the one that put her onto the the trail of this whole story, it turns out. He was the secret contact that, that filled her in on it. He was using her to find this Cranshaw guy. And he starts to lay into Cranshaw when, of course, Batman, who's been you know holding back, he was the, the secret protection for Lois, he comes into the battle, and there's some great, really great panels of them really duking it out. And Metallo, you know, he's just a big bruiser. He's uh, really laying into Batman because he's so much more powerful, but, and Batman has to rely on his martial arts skills. So it's a really cool fight. And this Cranstraw guy is like, uh, I gotta get out of here. So he starts to run off, and Metallo just zaps him with kryptonite and knocks him down. And Lois is really freaked out about this. She realizes that, you know, because she's seen Superman, she even says, I've seen Superman react to kryptonite more times than I care to remember. And so she realizes that this really is Green K radiation, and somehow it's affecting, you know, regular people, not, not just Kryptonians. So metallo has uh, has knocked out cranshaw he ends up uh knocking out batman as well and makes off with the both of them lois lane hails a taxi now where the hell you find a taxi at the docks at midnight in gotham city is beyond me but she manages to get one and she's basically you know follow that robot so in the meantime elsewhere batman comes to and realize he's been all tied up and everything by metallo and metallo has taken away his famed utility belt and as soon as metallo you know metallo brags about and blah 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 whatever his stupid plan is and of course like every villain does instead of just putting a bullet in his head or something you know he of course leaves batman to you know cleverly escape which batman does it's really cool he uh, he basically uh contorts himself like houdini style and gets out of the bonds and everything, and, and he escapes you know, pretty quickly from, you know, he, he was basically just tied up and left in a room, which, you know, even by this time, I thought Batman had a reputation to where, you know, criminals realized that he was a master escape artist and that this sort of thing wouldn't work, but anyway, he gets free, Lois Lane flies all over the city, and uh you know she's uh in a i guess this must be a news helicopter or something she's being escorted around it never really says where exactly she hooks up with this dude with the helicopter but basically he flies all over the place and she's got this little analyzer type of thing that's looking for residual exhaust from metallo's jet scooter and they don't turn up anything And the guy's like, sorry, Miss Lane, I'm running out of fuel. I'm going to have to quit. She's like, well, you know, it's not your fault. Just take me back, you know, and I'll I'll have to start all over again. And he no sooner drops her off than the thing that she's using, this analyzer thing, starts pinging like crazy, and she realizes that Metallo is actually hiding out in Star Labs itself, which is where this guy dropped her off at. So in the meantime, Batman is making his way through, you know, the, the darkened lab, um, I guess hunting for Metallo, and he gets into a fight with a giant robot. Which the robot is really silly. The story at this point is starting to get a little silly, but it's really made up for heavily by the just the awesome Jim um, Aparo art. You know, Batman is already minus his utility belt, so he looks a little funny as he's walking around without it. And then as he fights with this big robot who has this like blaster beam. Batman takes off his cape and wraps it around the robot's eyes. And the robot, being just basically a big, stupid robot, attempts to blast the cape away from its eyes and blows its own head off, which is pretty cool. So now Batman, not only is he minus his utility belt, now he's minus his cape. And he just looks really cool. I love the way that uh, Jim Apero draws Batman. So it's, it's a neat look seeing him without his cape and utility belt, yet still in costume. And at this point, Lois and Batman basically rendezvous at about the same time and come upon Metallo as he's, you know, performing his dastardly deed. And what he has done is he's basically blackmailing this this Cranshaw guy into fixing him. There you know, he was being because he uh had something to do with how his robotic body worked and he had trouble locating Kryptonite for such a time that he had, he was forced to use um, uranium instead, and the uranium was doing something to him, killing him or poisoning his mind or something. It was a little bit vague, and, and I'm not. I have to admit, I'm not terribly versed on the Metallo of of this uh, continuity or the pre-crisis Metallo, but basically, he was getting this Cranshaw guy to to fix him and make him better, and also there was a great explanation at the end of this as to how Metallo was actually able to use kryptonite to hurt other people. He basically he'd analyzed kryptonite and he figured out exactly how it worked and why it worked on Superman. There's actually like an, a scientific explanation given which I thought was was pretty cool. And he talks about the fact that you know green K worked because of Superman. You know, he's this... Uh, let me see if I can find it exactly here. Um, Kryptonite gives off super radiation, particles that move so fast they nor- normally pass harmlessly right through matter, unless that matter is also super dense, like Superman's tightly packed molecular structure. And Metallo brags that he was able to slow down the rate of particle emissions enough to affect humans As it does Kryptonians. I thought that that was really cool. I mean, I don't know how much that's probably completely bullshit science, but it's a neat idea. I just, I was never aware, at least, you know, off the top of my head, I couldn't think of a time when kryptonite pre crisis affected regular people. Now, post crisis, that was one of my favorite things that came about in the post crisis Superman continuity was that kryptonite, as we find out, through prolonged exposure, could prove fatal to people just the same as it could to superman now, superman it affected right away you know he gets near kryptonite and he's like oh kryptonite and he's dying whereas you know we would discover like with lex Luthor, you know he had that kryptonite ring which eventually through kryptonite slow kryptonite poisoning because he was just a regular human being claimed Luthor's hand and then later on there was a whole story where the ring became lost and changed hands several times and there were people that actually died from kryptonite radiation poisoning from just longer exposure to it so i thought that was a really cool thing but to find out that there was sort of a precedent for that sort of thing in pre-crisis was pretty awesome i thought that was really neat and it's just really fun to see batman doing the superman thing you know doubling over and holding his gut in pain because kryptonite is killing him i I just there's something really cool about that especially the way that uh that uh jim apparo draws it so in the end Lois and and Batman they team up they're able to defeat metallo and partially it was due to Cranshaw who pulls a fast one on metallo and basically only temporarily healed up his heart uh, or whatever yeah they call it his heart but basically it's the center of his chest is is driven by whatever radioactive rock he happens to be using at the time whether it's kryptonite or uranium or whatever. And Cranshaw tries to pull a fast one. Now that Metello has is taken out of action, he feels like, well, I changed my mind. I don't really want to turn myself in and go to prison now. And, and Batman you know, makes quick work of disarming the guy and is like, nope, you're going to jail anyway. And that's pretty much how the story ends. It's a very quick resolution. But this story was just, God, it was a hell of a lot of fun. I really got a kick out of it. And what's really cool about it is that Superman is kind of the 800-pound the gorilla in the room, but really not mentioned very much. I mean, once or twice by name, and that's about it. And it's nice to see Lois Lane get into some trouble, get into some sticky situations, go up against one of Superman's villains, one of his top villains of this time period, yet... You know, she's not a damsel in distress, she's not a cream puff, and she never calls on him for help. You know, Superman never shows up to save the day. And I I thought that was kind of cool. It shows her to be a capable woman, and it's really awesome to see her team up and hold her own with Batman in this story, and also not to be billed as simply, oh, you know, Superman's girlfriend. You know, she's well, she's just Superman's squeeze. I mean, she's actually... Uh, uh, you know she's built and acts totally like a legit character like basically she's a, a fellow superhero teaming up with batman that's pretty cool I, you know it's really nice although i was never a big fan of lois lane solo stories like you know we would get in uh well like lois lane's own book or in superman family that sort of thing i always found them kind of dry and a lot of that had to do with the crappy art in a lot of those stories too but this one? This was different. I, I really liked the way she was written, I liked the way that she was portrayed, and uh, and I liked the interaction between her and Batman. I thought it was really cool. So anyway, uh, if you get a chance to track this one down, I highly recommend it. It was just a really, really fun read, and one of the better issues of, uh, of Brave and the Bold that I've seen in quite a while and uh again this was uh brave and the bold number 175 there is a backup story in here it's a nemesis story never all that crazy about nemesis and uh wow i can't stand dan spiegel art i'm sure this guy has his fans but it just never did it for me it it just i can't even describe it really it just has a look i i just never really got anything out of um I didn't I didn't even bother to read it, to be honest with you. It was just one of those throwaway backup features that uh, that I don't think I ever really paid any attention to. Um, but it's only just a couple of pages. Really, the, the Batman story takes up the majority of the issue. Well worth it, especially for 50 cents, like I nabbed it for. But, you know, even if you had to pay a couple bucks for it, I'd say it's well worth it. Uh, just a lot of fun. Anyway, that's it for uh, this episode. Like I said, just a nice, sweet, short episode and uh we should be resuming our regularly scheduled feature uh here shortly in the future um just having a little bit of a a scheduling issue right now but nothing to worry about nothing major is going on it's just kind of a tough time right now i've got a lot of school issues going on so i don't have all the editing time that i normally do michael of course does you know half a dozen podcasts same as i do so every once in a while we're gonna have these little things creep up but uh Hopefully you enjoyed this. I, I hope you get a kick out of it. I hope that my enthusiasm for this fun, fun story shone through and, uh, and that you get a kick out of it. So anyway, give me some feedback. Let me know what you thought. You know, are you like, yeah, I would get back to the regular thing or, you know, is, is a little diversion like this okay? I'd rather do something like this than be late. Or not have an episode at all. You know what I mean? I I really am a a firm believer in, you know, if you say you're going to be a weekly show, then be a weekly show, even if you've got to do something a little unusual to make that happen. And so this is a little bit unusual, but hopefully not too unusual. You're just basically getting a one-sided story this time. But uh, anyway, that's this episode, and uh, we will talk to you next week.
0: Back to the Bins is produced in association with the Two True Freaks podcast, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.libson.com and is a registered trademark of Demanzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Back to the Bins is a proud member of both the League of Comic Book Podcasts, which you may find at comicbooknoise.com league, and also the Comics Podcast Network, which you may find at comicspodcasts.com. Take a moment to stop by their respective sites and support their other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. They are the first and best team of mystery men ever to assemble for the cause of justice. The heroes that have been part of their ranks are legendary. They fight for America and for democracy, and yet no one has devoted a podcast to their exploits. Until now. Unfortunately, it's hosted by these guys. I don't care what Julia Schwartz says. Yeah, league sounds like a baseball team. I
1: hate baseball. So, there you go. Um, (laughs) First F-bomb of the show. Um, How did you beat me to the first F-bomb of the show?
0: Scott Gardner and Michael Bailey present Tales Tales of the the Justice Justice Society of America Fridays at twotruefreaks.libson.com
1: And there came a day, a day unlike any other, When Earth's mightiest heroes and heroines found themselves united against a common threat. On that day, the Avengers were born. To fight the foes no single superhero could withstand. Through the years, their roster has prospered. Changing many times, but their glory has never been denied. Heed the call then, for now, the Avengers Assemble! The Avengers Assemble Podcast Available now at AvengersAssemblePodcast.Libsyn.com Hey folks, it's Mori Clawhammer here. And I personally guarantee that Two True Freaks is always hot and it's always topless, okay? And it's available 24 hours a day on the internets. Get your freaks on! Two true